the dark and quiet hallway of the Fay Lower School, One School, One Book 2.0 is proud to present Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls, read and produced by Lainey Schuster. Chapter 16 In the afternoon, our judge came over and introduced himself. He told us he'd be going with us that night. About sundown, we piled in our buggy and drove a few miles downriver. I noticed other hunters doing the same thing. Everyone was trying to get away from the already hunted territory. It was dark by the time Grandpa stopped. I untied the ropes from my dogs. Little Ann reared up on me and whined. Old Dan walked off a few yards, stretched his body, and dragged his claws through the soft bottom soil. Opening his mouth, he let out one loud bawl and then disappeared in the thick timber. Little Ann was right on his heels. We took off after them. Grandpa got nervous. He said to me, Don't you think we ought to whoop to them? I told him to wait a little while. There would be plenty of time for whooping. He snorted and said he thought a hunter always whooped to his dogs. I do, Grandpa, I said, but not before they strike a trail. We walked on. Every now and then we would stop and listen. I could hear the loud sniffing of old Dan. Once we caught a glimpse of little Anne as she darted across an opening that was battled, bathed in moonlight. She was as silent as a ghost and as quick as a flitting shadow. Papa said, It sure is a beautiful night for hunting. The judge said, You can't beat these Ozark Martin nights for beauty. I don't care where you go. Grandpa started to say something. His voice was drowned out by the bell-like cry of little Anne. In a whisper, I said, Come on, Dan, hurry and help her. As if in answer to my words, his deep voice hammered its way through the river bottoms. I felt the blood tingling in my veins. That wonderful feeling that only a hunter knows crept over my body. Looking over at Grandpa, I said, Now you can whoop. Jerking off his hat and throwing back his head, he let out a yell. It wasn't a whoop or a screech. It was about halfway in between. Everyone laughed. The coon was running upriver toward our campground. We turned and followed. I could tell by the dogs' voices that they were running side by side and were hot on the trail. Closing my eyes, I could almost see them running. Them running. Bodies stretched to their fullest length. Legs pounding up and down. White steam rolling from their hot breath in the frosty night. Grandpa got tangled up in some underbrush and lost his hat and spectacles. It took us a while to find the glasses. Papa said something about getting them wired on with bailing wire. Papa snorted. The judge laughed. The coon crossed the river and ran upstream. Soon my dogs were out of hearing distance. I told Papa we'd better stay on our side of the river and keep going until we could hear them again. Twenty minutes later, we heard them coming back. We stopped. I think they have crossed back to our side, I said. All at once, the voices of my dogs were drowned out by a large, loud roar. What in the world was that, Grandpa said. I don't know, the judge said. Reckon it was wind or thunder? About that time, we heard it again. The judge started laughing. I know now what it is, he said. Those hounds have run that coon right back by our camp. The noise we heard was the other hunters whooping to them. 
Everyone laughed. A few minutes later, I heard my dogs bawling treed. On reaching the tree, Papa ran his hand back under his coat. He pulled out Grandpa's gun. That's a funny-looking gun, the judge said. It's a 410-gauge pistol, isn't it? It's the very thing for this kind of work, Papa said. You couldn't kill a coon with it if you tried, especially if you're using birdshot. All it will do is sting his hide a little. At the crack of the gun, the coon gave a loud squall and jumped. My dogs lost no time in killing him. We skinned the coon and soon were on our way again. The next time my dogs treed, they were across the river from us. Finding a riffle, we pulled off our shoes and started across. Grandpa very gingerly started picking his way. His tender old feet moved from one smooth rock to another. Everything was fine until we reached midstream, where the current was much swifter. He stepped on a loose round rock. It rolled and down he went. As the cold river water touched his body, he let out a yell that could have been heard for miles. He looked so funny we couldn't keep from laughing. Papa and the judge helped him to his feet. Laughing every step of the way, we finally reached the other side. Grandpa kept going in his wet clothes until we reached the tree where the dogs were. After killing the coon, we built a large fire so Grandpa could dry his clothes. He'd get up as close to the fire as he could and turn this way and that. He looked so funny standing there in his long underwear steaming. I started rolling with laughter. He looked over at me and snapped. What's so funny? I said, nothing. Well, why are you laughing, he said. At this remark, Papa and the judge laughed until their eyes watered. Mumbling and grumbling, Grandpa said, If you fellows were as cold as I am, you wouldn't be laughing. We knew we shouldn't be laughing, but we couldn't help ourselves. The judge looked at his watch. It's after three o'clock, he said. Do you think they'll tree another one? As if to throw the words back in the judge's face, old Dan opened up. I stood up and whooped. Woo-wee! Get him, Dan! Get him! Put him up a little tree! There was a mad scramble. Grandpa tried to put his britches on backwards. The judge and Papa ran over to help him with the shoes. Each one tried to put a shoe on the wrong foot. I was laughing so hard I could do nothing. A hundred yards from the fire, I realized we'd forgotten the coon skins. I ran back for them. My dogs had jumped the coon in swampland. He tore out for the river bottoms. I could tell they were close to him by their fast bawling. All at once, their baying stopped. We stood still and listened. Old Dan bawled tree a few more times and then stopped. Grandpa asked, What's happened? I told him the coon had probably pulled some kind of trick. Coming up to my dogs, we saw they were working up and down an old rail fence. We stood and watched. Every now and then, old Dan would rear up on a large hackberry tree that was standing about seven feet from the fence and ball treed. As yet, little Ann had not balled the tree bark. We watched her. She was working everywhere. She climbed up on the rail fence and followed its zigzag course until she disappeared in the darkness. I told Papa I was sure the coon had walked the rail fence and in some way had fooled my dogs. Old Dan would keep coming back to the hackberry tree. He would rear up on it and ball treed. We walked up to him. Looking the tree over, we could see the coon wasn't in it. 
The judge said, "'That looks like he's got them fooled.' "'Maybe you better call them off,' Grandpa said. "'We can go someplace else and hunt. "'We've got to get one more coon, even if I have to tree it myself.' For some reason, no one laughed at his remark. "'It's almost daylight,' Papa said. "'Yes, that's what has me worried,' I said. "'We don't have time to do any more hunting. "'If we lose this one, we're beat.' Hearing the word beat, Grandpa began to fidget. He asked me, "'What do you think happened?' How did that coon fool them? I don't know for sure, I said. He walked that rail fence, and that hackberry tree has something to do with his trick, but I don't know what. Son, the judge said, I wouldn't feel too badly if I were you. I've seen some of the very best hounds fooled by a smart old coon. Regardless of all the discouraging talk, the love and belief I had in my little red hounds never faltered. I could see them now and then, leaping over old logs, tearing through the underbrush, sniffing and searching for the lost trail. My heart swelled with pride. I whooped, urging them on. In a low voice, the judge said, I'll say one thing, they don't give up easily. Birds began to chirp all around us. The sky took on a light gray color. Tiny dim stars were blinking the night away. It looks like we're beat, Papa said. It's getting daylight. At that moment, the loud, clear voice of a red-boned hound bawling treed rang through the river bottom. It was the voice of little Anne. Sucking in a mouthful of air, I held it. I could feel my heart pounding against my ribs. I closed my eyes tight and gritted my teeth to keep the tears from coming. Let's go to them, Grandpa said. No, wait a minute, I said. Why? he asked. Wait till old Dan gets there, I said. It's daylight now, and if we walk up to the tree, the coon will jump out. It's hard to keep a coon in a tree after daylight. Let's wait until old Dan gets there. Then if he jumps, he won't have a chance to get away. The boy's right, the judge said. It's hard to keep a coon in a tree after daybreak. Just then we heard old Dan. His deep voice shattered the morning silence. Searching for the lost trail, he had crossed the fence and worked his way out into an old field. Turning around, we saw him coming. He was a red blur in the gray morning shadows. Coming to the rail fence, and without breaking his stride, he raised his body into the air. About halfway over and while still in the air, he bawled. Hitting the ground with a loud grunt, he ran past us. Everyone whooped to him. Ahead was a deep washout, about ten feet wide. On the other side was a cane break. His long red body, stretched to its fullest length, seemed to float in the air as he sailed over it. We could hear the tall stalks rattling as he plowed his way through them. A bunch of sleepy snowbirds rose from the thick cane, flitted over, and settled in a row on the old rail fence. Nearing the tree, we could see it was a tall sycamore. And there, high in the top, was the coon. Grandpa threw a fit. He hopped around, whooping and hollering. He threw his hat down on the ground and jumped up and down on it. Then he ran over and kissed little Anne right on the head. After we killed and skinned the coon, the judge said, Let's walk back to that old fence. I think I know how that old fellow pulled his trick. Back at the fence, the judge stood and looked around for a few minutes. 
Smiling, he said, Yep, that's how we did it. How? Grandpa asked. Still smiling, the judge said, That old coon walked this rail fence. Coming even with the hackberry tree, he leaped up on its side and climbed up. Notice how thick the timber is around here. See that limb way up there on the top? The one that runs over and almost touches the sycamore? We saw what he meant. The coon walked out on that limb, he said, leaped over and caught the sycamore limb. Repeating this over and over from tree to tree, he worked his way far out into the river bottoms. What I can't figure out is how that hound found him. Gazing at little Anne, he shook his head and said, I've been hunting coons and judging coon hunts for 40 years, but I've never seen anything like that. He looked at me. Well, son, he said, you have tied the leading teams. There's only one more night of eliminations. Even if some of them get more than three coons, you will still be in the runoff. And from what I've seen here tonight, you have a good chance of winning the cup. I knew that little Anne had scented the coon in the air, the same as she had done with the ghost coon. I walked over and knelt down by her side. The things I wanted to say to her I couldn't for the knot in my throat, but I'm sure she understood. As we came into the campground, the hunters came out of their tents and gathered around us. The judge held up the three big coon hounds. There was a roar from the crowd. One man said, that was the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. What was a beautiful sight, Grandpa asked. Last night, those little red hounds brought that coon right through the camp. The judge laughed. We figured they did when we heard the noise. Laughing, the man said, we heard them when they ran up from the other side of the river. Way up over here, they crossed. We could tell they were coming back. So we doused all the fires, and sure enough, they came right through camp. Those two little hounds weren't 50 feet behind the coon, running side by side. Boy, they were picking them up and laying them down and bawling every time their feet touched the ground. I'll tell you, it was the prettiest sight I ever saw. When the judge started telling about the last coon little Anne had treed, I took my dogs over to our tent and fed and watered them. After they had had their fill, I gave them a good rub down with a piece of gunny sack. Taking them out to the buggy, I tied them up. I stood and watched while they twisted around in the hay, making their bed. That day, I tried to get some sleep in our tent, but the soaking Grandpa had taken in the river had given him a cold, causing him to snore. I never heard such a racket in all my life. I'd have sworn he rattled the paper sacks in our grocery boxes. Taking a blanket, I went out to my dogs. Little Anne had wiggled up as close to old Dan as she could. Prying them apart, I lay down between them and fell asleep. The last night of the eliminations turned out like the second night. None of the judges turned in more than two hides. That day, around noon, the owners of the other winning teams and I were called for a conference with the head judge. He said, Gentlemen, the eliminations are over. Only three sets of hounds are left for the runoff. The winner of tonight's hunt will receive the gold cup. If there is a tie for the championship, naturally, there will be another runoff. He shook hands with each of us and wished us good luck. Tension began to build up in the camp. Here and there, hunters were standing in small groups, talking. Others could be seen going in and out of tents with rolls of money in their hands. Grandpa was the busiest one of all. 
his voice could be heard all over camp. Men were looking at me and talking in low tones. I strutted like a turkey gobbler. That evening, while we were having supper, a hunter dropped by. He had a small box in his hand. Smiling, he said, everyone has agreed that we should have a jackpot for the winner. I've been picked to do the collecting. Grandpa said, huh, you may as well leave it here now. Looking at me, the hunter said, son, I think almost every man in this camp is hoping you win it, but it's not going to be easy. You're going up against four of the finest hounds there are. Turning to my father, he said, did you know the two big walker hounds have won four gold cups? Very seriously, Papa said. You know, I have two mules down on my place. One is almost as big as a barn. The other one isn't much bigger than a jackrabbit. But that little mule can outpull the big one every time. Smiling, the hunter turned to leave. He said, you could be right. Papa asked me again where I thought we should start hunting. I'd been thinking about this all day. I said, you remember where we jumped the last coon in the swamp? Papa said, yes. Well, the way I figure, more than one coon lives in that swamp, I said. It's a good place for them as there are lots of crawfish and minnows in those potholes. If a hound jumps one there, he has a good chance to tree him. Papa asked, why? It's a long way back to the river and about the same distance to the mountains, I said. Either way he runs, a dog can get pretty close to him and so he would have to take to a tree. That evening we climbed into Grandpa's buggy and headed for the swamp. It was dark by the time we reached it. Grandpa handed Papa his gun, saying, You're getting to be, pretty good, uh, you're getting to be a pretty good shot with this thing. I hope I get to shoot it a lot tonight, Papa said. Under my breath I said, I do too. After untying the ropes from my dogs, I held on to their collars for a minute. Pulling them up close, I knelt down and whispered, This is the last night. I know you'll do your best. They seemed to understand and tugged at their collars. When I turned them loose, they started for the timber. Just as they reached the dark shadows, they stopped, turned around, and stared straight at me for an instant. The judge saw their strange actions. Laying a hand on my shoulder, he asked, What did they say, son? I said, nothing that anyone could understand, but I can feel that they know this hunt is important. They know it just as well as you or I. It was little Anne who found the trail. Before the echo of her sharp cry had died away, old Dan's deep voice floated out of the swamp. Well, let's go, Papa said eagerly. No, let's wait a minute, I said. Wait? Why? Grandpa asked. To see which way he's going to run, I said. The coon broke out of the swamp and headed for the river. Listening to my dogs, I could tell they were close to him. I said to Papa, I don't think he'll make it to the river. They're right on his heels now. By the time we'd circled the swamp, they were bawling treed. The judge said, Boy, that was fast. I felt my father's hand on my shoulder. Looking at me, he smiled and nodded his head. Papa and I knew I had judged the coon perfectly. He didn't have time to reach the river or the mountains. My dogs had treed the coon in a tall ash, which stood about 50 yards from the river. I knew the 50 yards had saved us a good hour, because he could have pulled trick after trick if he had gotten in the water. We spied the coon in the topmost branches. 
At the crack of a gun, he ran far out on a limb and jumped. He landed in an old fallen treetop. He scooted through it. Coming out on the other side, he ran for the river. The tangled mass of limbs slowed my dogs, and they all but tore the tree part, treetop apart trying to get out of it. The coon was just one step ahead of them as they reached the river. We heard them hit the water. Running over, we stood and watched the fight. The coon was at home in the river. He crawled up on old Dan's head, trying to force him under. Before he could do it, little Ann reached up and pulled him off. In a scared voice, Papa said, That water looks deep to me. Maybe you better call them off, said the judge. That's a big coon, and he could drown one of them easily in that deep water. Call them off, I said. Why, you couldn't whip them off with a stick. There's no use for anyone to get scared. They know exactly what they're doing. I've seen this more times than one. Grandpa was scared and excited. He was jumping up and down, whooping and hollering. Papa raised the gun to aim. I jumped and grabbed his arm. Don't do that, I yelled. You're sure to hit one of my dogs. Round and round in the deep water, the fight went on. The coon climbed up on old Dan's head and sank his teeth in one of his long, tender ears. Old Dan bawled with pain. Little, little Ann swam in and caught one of the coon's hind legs in her mouth. She tried hard to pull him off. All three disappeared under the water. I held my breath. The water churned and boiled. All three came to the top at about the same time. The coon was between the bank we were standing on and my dogs. He swam toward us. They caught him again just as he reached shore. He fought his way free and ran for a large sycamore. Old Dan caught him just as he started up, and I knew that was the end of the fight. After it was all over and the coon had been skinned, Grandpa said, I hope we don't have to go through that again tonight. For a while, I sure thought your dogs were goners. The judge said, Well, have you ever seen that? Look over there. Old Dan was standing perfectly still, with eyes closed and head hanging down. Little Anne was licking at his cut and bleeding ears. She always does that, I said. If you'll watch, when she gets done with him, he'll do the same for her. We stood and watched until they had finished doctoring each other. Then, trotting side by side, they disappeared in the darkness. We followed along, stopping now and then to listen. Join me for the next episode of Where the Red Fern Grows.